0: is loving people, whoever you are and wherever your journey is taking you, rest assured you will be loved, valued, and encouraged here through a connection with God and one another. I love to state our mission. I love to be reminded every time we get together that there's a purpose for us gathering, a mission when we walk out and as we come together, and that is to love folks, amen? I mean, they ought to walk out here and go, man, I felt special. Amen? Because people are special. You are special. And I'm going to go a step further. You really and truly, a lot of times, we lose sight of just how special we are to one another. We need one another. And we'll talk about that some tonight. How about the issue of thoughts? Uh, how about that? This morning, uh, we dug around and, and, and you know, tried to uncover some some. some some ways that we struggle with thought. I'm going to go a little deeper into that. We saw this morning from Isaiah 26, verse 3, that the scripture said, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So there's this challenge on us. We said this, and it is that, that we get perfect peace when we work at it. We get perfect peace... When we fix our thoughts on him. I, so, I grew up hunting. Um, I don't think I've talked about this part of my life yet. I, 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 it'll lead to confession. I'll do that. It always does. Anytime I talk about myself, I have to confess stuff. Uh, I don't think I've talked to you much about my my grow, the way I was raised. And I was raised... Uh, in the city, uh, on the outskirts of Laurel, Mississippi, and and Dad ended up being able to purchase property that was directly behind where he was raised, out in Wayne County, uh, which was uh, on a road called Wooten Road, so that tells you how old the road was. They named the road after our family. Uh, there's stories about people. I, I, was, I was raised in a service station atmosphere, working on cars and Vacuuming them at a young age to get tips, so that I had some money, some jingle in my pocket, and uh, uh, so I I'll never forget. One of the gay Rz Pepper, was his name. He worked for the for the county, and he one of his jobs was to go out and 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 to um, inspect uh, crops and different stuff that was being that was being reported or turned into the county. This was years, 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 years ago. This was before me. This was, this was before I was born. Or as he traded at the station with my dad, though, and they would tell the stories about the trip when he came out to see my dad's, my, my mom, it was actually my dad's mom and dad, because he was growing tobacco out there. And he would grow the tobacco and turn it in, but he had a limited amount that he could plant. You can only plant so much and turn it in. Well, he did twice that much this particular year. And R.Z. come out there and walked it off. R.Z.'s young at this time. He was much older when I met him and got to know him. But R.Z. Um, came out, walked it off, to the best of his do- knowledge, figured it up and determined there was two times as much tobacco planted on the field than was allowed. And so he goes to the door, knocks on the door, and dad's dad, Frank, who I I did not know, uh, he passed before I came into the world, came to the door, and RZ said, Mr. Wooten, I'm RZ Pepper, I come out to, to talk with you about the crop that you planted out here, and I need to see you out here, because we need to step off this crop, because the Size of this field is too large. You're going to need to pull some of it up. They said, my granddaddy looked at him and said, okay, I'll be right back. And he turns, he walks back in the house. Nor as he thought to himself. Well, he had all his clothes on, his shoes on. I don't know what he'd be going back in the house for. And he said, he turned back, he's standing there, and he looks up, and he sees him coming down the hall and can tell there's a gun this way and it looked like a double barrel. And he said, the first thing I thought was, I'm gonna die. And so he spun, run off the porch, through the gate, and jumped in his car and said, for years, he still had the peppering of the bird shot on the on the car that where, where, where my granddad shot at him twice going to the road. Never reported the field. <laughs> granddad had turned it all in, <laughs> he got the money for it. And had a great relationship with my dad. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, you know, you're alive. I mean, you're thankful for every day. Uh, these are the kinds of uh, experiences and stories that you guys have. We all have these things. I'm saying all that because this morning, as I was getting ready, I all I'm, we I was raised as a hunter. I, was, I we hunted, fished, did it all. But I loved hunting. Now we had, we had, we had. Deer dogs, hound dogs, hunting dogs, walker, and blue ticks that we raised. And it was amazing how that we could go out and turn them loose and they'd find a deer and take off, or we'd find a big track on the road and everybody'd stand the property, you know, and you'd have your guns, you'd turn the dogs loose, boy, they'd hit and take off. We had, we had trampas who was like he was a cold nose his real slow bark and you knew he was on good he's on the trail whenever he'd do that low slow bark and he'd be, he'd be every once in a while and then there was a couple of other dogs that would would start hitting you'd hear them barking well it's getting warm and then all of a sudden we have one particular dog that just would go nuts when the trail got hot so you knew I mean they were like, I mean they were so well tuned you needed them up here I mean it'd be awesome anyway <laughs> yeah uh, anyway that was bad So this morning, they were, they, uh, this, this morning I'm, I, I thought about them because it would never fail. There'd be days when we'd turn loose and they'd do great, and all of a sudden you could tell something changed. The sound changed, the tone changed, something changed, and they would go slam out of here, and, and we'd lose them. And we'd lose them for hours, days. We've lost them for weeks. We've, we've had people pick up Travis or Trampus was his name, we had people pick up Trampus like 27 miles south of us and bring him home. So my confession is there's times I start and I get way off track and get lost and end up 27 miles from where I'm supposed to be. But I didn't do that this morning and I'm so thankful that I didn't. And we got two thoughts. We got to the discussion, to the focus of thoughts, okay? And so I'm going to try not to do that tonight. I did all that just to say, we're going to stay on track. You know, we got us a hot track. We're going to stay on it, okay? i want to stay on the track of thoughts and try to present a more personal, practical thought to you that I think has infiltrated our culture, and, and, and I would say it this way. I asked this morning, how do we fix our thoughts? And when I say how do we fix, I'm not talking about how do we fix something that's broken. Even though a lot of times our thoughts are broken. But it's not that I think our thoughts are broken. It's that I think that he's saying here how do we fix, how do we set our eyes. It's, it's It's what Dr. K said just a minute ago. How do we fix our eyes on Jesus, it says, you know. That scripture says fixed, or that song says fixed. So so how do we fix our thoughts? How do we fix our thoughts on God? How do we fix our thoughts on him? Because I think it's, it's a struggle for us because when we fix our thoughts, to fix our thoughts, we got to fix our thoughts. There's some broken stuff. It's not so much that it's broken, it's just it's not in the order that God designed it. We think wrong about things. So, I think the way we fix our thoughts is by planting new thoughts. Okay? I think we have to plant another thought in the place of those thoughts that lead us astray, that get us off track, that come across what we were doing that was right, that Veer us away, and that, that next thing you know, we're out chasing squirrels. You know, we're doing the wrong thought. We're, we're, we're practicing the wrong thought. I heard a minister a few years back, uh, John Easter, the missionary to Africa. He's probably having the greatest single impact of any missionary on the face of the earth today that's that's a big statement but what he's done is is he has taken a curriculum and created the curriculum that is there's i don't know there's hundreds of languages over there but they have broken it down and gotten it into a discipleship form and he has he has created a network of churches that are growing churches, that are growing people, and it's just unbelievable what's happening in Africa right now. Just, there's no way to describe what's going on. Uh, a transformation like nothing we've ever seen or heard of. Uh, there are others who are beginning to practice that, and that same practice is having that impact on the Muslim pos- population across the world. Uh, there are pockets of Muslims that are cur- turning to faith, that are literally, well, I sat. Uh, it's probably been about four years ago, Debbie and I were in Orlando for general counsel, and as an assistant to our missions director, I, I was privileged to sit in a, in a banquet that was had all of our missionaries from across the world that had come in, and there, there are sensitive countries that you can't talk about. Uh, the Williams, who were here recently, there, you know, you just there's, there's countries that these missionaries go to that you don't put face, you don't do anything, you don't put anything out there about them. Well, there were many of those missionaries who were in this lunch that stood and that testified about people in the Muslim population that were coming to their doors and knocking on their doors and saying. I had a vision last night, a man in white stood before me and told me to come to your door and that you would tell me about this man named Jesus. Yeah, y'all feel that, don't you? Yeah. I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? I mean, God's on the move. I mean it's easy to get our get to to, to, to get our focus right here around us and just see what's happening in our nation and to want to beat our heads against something hard because we think there's it's impossible what's gonna go on and when the whole time God's doing an amazing thing around the world. So there's lift up your heads is what I'm trying to tell you. Lift up your eyes. Fix your thoughts this morning. So we're going we're to talk about this. This minister, anyway. I back, back, I'm on track now. I heard this guy share, and he was talking about what he called the damage of individualism. Now, let me just tell you, John Easter. If there was depths of knowledge, and we used water to describe it, I am a, I am a mist. And he is an ocean, okay? You understand what I'm saying here? This guy's intelligence is off the charts. And his scriptural intelligence, spiritual intelligence is through the roof. I've never heard anybody. Matter of fact, whenever he preached, I thought, I love those notes and I'd love to preach it, but I ain't got a clue what they're saying. <laughs> I'd have to reread them, reread them, try to figure out what he was saying. But I did get this, so here we go. <laughs> he made this statement. He said he talked about the damage of individualism uh, is having on the mindset of Americans as well as across the globe. So he said it's an impact across the world. He said at the core of so many messages that we hear today, whether it's in whether it's in, in media, whether it's through movies or music, whether it's politics, you know, something you see on television, there resides a focus in the majority of the of the the messaging on individualism and so here's what he said this is his quote the new john three sixteen of the world is be true to yourself you be you now that we hear we've heard that everybody here we've heard that and we're like well that's not a bad thing is it hang on He went on to say, a life of individual autonomy, which is what individualism is. is that you are self-sufficient, that you are the beginning and the end, that you are autonomous, that you have the last word, that you are you, and there's nothing else that you need other than you. He said, a life of individual autonomy, or he used this phrase, self-rule which means we put self on the throne, right? Self-rule is the essence of all sin which Adam and Eve fell prey to in the garden. So he took it all the way back there. So the question I have tonight, I want to sort of talk about this, uh, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to, trying to get too deep into theological ideas or anything. I'm just saying, guys, look, our challenge is how do we deconstruct the emptiness of living a life of individual autonomy? Because it's an empty life. How do we, how do we deconstruct those thoughts? How do, we, how do we replace them? How do we uproot them and plant the reality of, of dependence on God and dependence on one another and the need for the life that is found in the nucleus of christianity because that's it we need one another i'm not going to try and win an argument i just simply want to deliver a counter thought concerning the inherent loneliness and emptiness that naturally naturally results from living life on our own terms basically okay (laughs) me being me me doing me so listen to what Paul said, and what we're going to do is we're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 2, we've got 11 verses we're going to walk through, I'm going to talk to you some through those, then we're going to pick up and we're going to move a, a little deeper and a little further out, and we're going we're to do what I call replacing thought, replacing thought. So we're going to replant, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're digging up and then we're going to plant, okay, so we'll dig up a little bit first, we're going to dig up using Philippians chapter 2, it's like a plow, amen? So here we go. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 1. It makes this statement. Is there any encouragement for belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? All verse 1. Verse 2 says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. So here's the quick thought, okay? So I'm going to just take this step by step. We're going to look at sort of what Paul was talking about dealing with here. Paul's basically saying this, okay? I'm not going to replace the scripture. I just want to reword it a little bit. He's basically saying, is there any any encouragement, comfort, fellowship, tenderness, compassion found in belonging to one another? Because that here's the bottom line. Individualism does not create encouragement, comfort, fellowship, tenderness, or compassion. So Paul's addressing this very self rule spirit in this passage with the Philippians. He's seen the Philippians. He's been with them. He's watched them practice life, live life, and he recognizes there's this issue going on in them. They're very much you do you. They're very much, the church of Philippi was full of people who was practicing a life that was born out of a thought that I am my own. And so he says, right here, is there any encouragement for belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love, any fellowship to, together in the Spirit, or your heart's tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Listen. When you don't agree with people and you do it out of a basis of self-rule, then you're setting yourself up to be all alone. And all alone is an empty place. In other words, the joy we search for is in the people around us. I mean, what a little bit we've been here filling in as an interim, it's been such a joyful experience for David and I because we just love people. I mean, it's been a blast. I mean, we were going to three churches prior to coming here in one Sunday. Now we get to go to the same one three times. <laughs> Two times, sorry. Two times. You get it? I'm, I'm saying, listen. Those sitting next to you, the ones God has brought into your life are where joy is found. We should find joy in each other. We should, if we're doing it right, there'll be joy in it. If we're doing it, if we're thinking, if we have our thoughts fixed, there should be joy in it. If there's not joy in it, then stop and let's figure out what's messing it up. Fair? I'll take that a step further. If it's if it's causing a division or separation, how do we fix that? Well, we fix that first by fixing ourselves, fixing our thoughts, making sure that our thoughts are right, that our practices are right, that our that self-rules not why this is happening. That that me being me is not causing the divide. Then he he basically calls on Christ's followers To unite in mind and purpose. So he's basically saying for this to work, you can't have your own mind. You got to get out of your mind and get in his mind. And then when we're all in his mind, we'll have one mind, right? So, So the challenge is, how do I fix my thoughts? Well, I begin by understanding I don't have thoughts anymore. None of my thoughts belong to me. They belong to him. And he should be the basis of every thought that I have. He should be the foundation of everything that I think. He should have influence on everything that processes through my mind. Then he goes on and makes this statement. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. That's 21st century right there, isn't it? Right? I mean, that's 21st century. That's that's the challenge we face today. What's selfish about me looking out for myself? That's the question you get. If you address this with people, they would say, well, what's wrong with me being mean? And the issue, everything's wrong with that. The issue is everything's wrong with that. Because you're not an island of, on your own and set aside. You belong to humanity. You belong to a people. You're a part of a tribe. No matter who you are, you're part of a tribe. I'm part of nobody. You're part of the nobodies. <laughs> you get what I'm saying here? Nobody's there. We've just been lied to and fooled ourselves into thinking that we're somebody we're not. Individualism's message is centered around selfish thoughts and desires. In the core of what individual autonomy is, it is a selfish desire and thought to think that I get to choose what I do. I'm going to go deeper in it. Just hang on. I'll say this. When he said self-rule is the essence of all sin because we're it's, We're basically saying to God, whenever we say, I got this. We're basically saying, we can manage this life. We can manage everything that's going on around us. And I can tell you, you don't got this. None of us got this. We need God's help. And the the, the deception in that thought gets us to something. So I'm going to get there um verse five you must you must have the same attitude that christ jesus had though he was god he did not think of equality with god as something to cling to so in other words he didn't think individualism was a good idea because when he if he would have thought being equal with god was a good thought then he'd have been saying, I can do what God does. And that wasn't what he was called to in this moment. Though he was God, he took on the form of a servant, it says here. He humbled himself. So, 7 says, instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, 8 says, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. I'm telling y'all, I don't got this. I don't. I don't have it. It's, I, 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 I battle and wrestle with thought every day, individualism, individual autonomy, the idea that I can do it. I got it. Everything's going to work out. Uh, King James translation, as y'all know in this passage, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So it's this idea that I got my mind is where a lot of my issue is, the way I think about things. And we got to approach life different than the culture around it. We have, we have to have an attitude adjustment, a mind-altering experience. And guess what? That's salvation, right? Salvation is, is an attitude adjustment. It's a mind-altering experience. When you get saved, your mind is altered. Let that set up for a second. Why? Because according to Scripture, you become a servant. That's altering. According to the Scripture, we become, we're called to humility. That's altering. That's Christianity. That's, that's the difference. So, to get to the thoughts, I want to get to them to ask this question. How are you altering this? May not be the best way to say it. I'm going to go with it. How are you altering your nature to live in the joy God has for you? How are you altering your nature to live in the joy that God has for you? Because He's called us all to joy, He's called us all to fullness in Him. That's a fullness of joy. How are you altering your nature? And why I wonder about that idea of nature is because we misinterpret what nature is. And so I'm careful to say that. How are you altering your nature? How are you, how are you altering you being you? Because that is the nature of all of us. Amen? All of us, are, are we're born into sin. We have a sin nature at, at, in the beginning. What is a sin nature? It's a, it's a nature that says, hey, mine is, this is mine. We, we're going to fight for it. From childhood, we'll fight for the toy, we'll fight for the food, we'll fight to stay awake. We watched Riley. They came to the house yesterday, and Michael and Lauren were trying to catch a nap in the living room, and they thought, well, we're going to lay her down. Son, you're going to have none of that today. <coughs> so she fought that nap, and then finally, finally, they got up, they laid her down, got her up, Laid her back down. Mike would sit there. I'm going to go get her in three minutes, two minutes. I'm working on the subway. And I'm laughing at myself. Jim, <laughs> might as well get up, dude. Give it up. You don't have control of this. I didn't do all that. Anyway, I'm working, looking real serious over there. And finally he says, okay, okay. She's really beginning to frustrate me. So he goes and gets her and brings her in there. And he's holding her. And she, of course, she lays her little head on his shoulder. And I'm going... <laughs> Uh, You are so manipulated right now, boy. It's the funniest thing. And, of course, Debbie being the savior that she is. Let me have her. I'll go lay on the bed with her. She didn't go to sleep in there either. She she used Debbie too. She used them all. Man, we got such strong minds and wills, y'all. Come on. Is it not the hardest thing to alter your nature? You can't do it. It takes, a, it takes a move of God. It takes an altering experience like we had this morning. It takes us getting honest with ourselves and saying, I can't do this. I can't do this, God. I got to have some help. I can't think correctly about that person who I would like to see maybe run over but not killed. <laughs> Come on. Most of us don't want them to die. We just want them to hurt a little bit. Right? I mean, that's not a good thought, but I'm telling you, I know how you think. How are you altering your nature to live in the joy God has for you? How What are you doing about this joy that is set before you? The scripture, Jesus There's a joy set before us, the scripture says. There's a joy set before us. What is that joy? For Jesus, it was to be at the right hand of the Father, to be be complete in this task he was on, to be set back at the right hand of the Father, to ever intercede on our behalf. That's where his joy was at. Man, he was so excited about getting back to that place and having solved this incredible, difficult thing called the power of sin. What's the joy for us? It's living in that. How do I live in that place of freedom and the the dependence that we see that Jesus had on the Father? I and my Father are one. Do you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, me and you, we won today. We won today. You and me. It's you and me, God. You should. That's an admission of dependence. It's something else I'm going to tell you about in just a second. So when we submit to God's design and purpose as humans, we experience the life of Christ lived through us on a daily basis. And whenever I say that, I, I want you to hear: when we do, I believe God elevates us to do His will daily. I think when we get to where that we're living in this experience of newness and of joy. He's able to elevate us to a place of fulfillment, a place where we do His will. We are walking in His will. That's what we all want. I want to do His will tomorrow, amen? I want to do His will today. And, and so I don't want me to get in the way. So he, how that happens is, is I, He puts the mind of Christ in us. He puts His heart in us at salvation. It's, it's an altering experience, but it's not a one-time thing. So we're going to talk about that. So how, how do we recognize the fallacy of self-rule in our thoughts. That's what I want to do. I want to give you three thoughts. I want to give you three thoughts that helps you to recognize this fallacy, this, this, this inerrancy of the, of, the, of the self-rule thought. Okay, so here we go. First thought. And, and I mean, you got to go to war with individualism. And so these are what I call Three weaponized thoughts. Can I use that word, weaponized? Y'all okay with that? You understand what I'm saying when I say that? I mean, they're a thought that goes to battle immediately with you, with self. Okay? First thought. You were made by God, so you are accountable to God. First thought. So I'm having to pull all these weeds of thought out of my mind and my heart. And one of those is that I ain't accountable to nobody. I do me, you do you, All's good. I got this, pull it up. And understand, first and foremost, you were made by God and you are accountable. So you are accountable to God. Now, there's a, there's a reason the opponent's, of Christianity, those who oppose Christianity want to define human origin through non divine, sci- purely scientific explanation. I'm going to give you that, okay? It's called macro, not micro, but macro evolution. And what macro evolution, as it's called, is and I say that it's vastly important to the new world view because that's what they're trying to establish, a new way of thinking. They're after us getting a new view of what life is. And so their idea is, is if we can get you to believe that God did not make you, then we will, then you will not believe that you're accountable to a creator, So macroevolution is to get us to think that we happened. Come on. Yeah. And we just happened. We come up out of the water and somehow it started forming feet. Next thing you know, we're crawling around with the rest of the animals. And Next thing you know, we're standing up on our hind legs. And then before you long, we've lost our tail and we've grown hair. I mean, I, I mean, that's the simplest way to describe it. The next time you see somebody that believes in evolution, you say, okay, so here's basically what you're saying. You describe that to them. But macro is, the, I put the macro in there and that's why they sort of define it because it gets down to the point that it's not about who we are as humans. It's about the idea that as humans, there's no one we account to. So it takes it down to the finest finite thought of there is no way I happened without someone or something greater than me. But I'm telling you there's no way I happened without someone greater than me. So you were made by God, so you're accountable to God. If you're not accountable to the creator, then who do you answer to? Well, that's simple. You answer to yourself. Hello, self-rule, right? Suddenly, I'm in charge. I can think and do and act any way I want to. Man, listen, guys. If you don't believe there's something been planted in our nation in this, you go watch TV tonight. You get the news on and you watch what they call protests take place. right that's where individual autonomy becomes the most reasonable or at least desirable worldview is whenever i think that i got the final say final word people need to know that god's the author of creation listen that's one of the things you've got to begin to explain and tell people this day and time you didn't just happen you were created and you were created by a divine being one we know as Jehovah, who loves you and has a purpose for you, that also means that we're accountable to Him, and He desires for us to live under His authority. And His authority is not bad; His authority is good. His correction is good. His His direction, His 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 rebuke is good. I mean. I mean, if you love your kids and you correct them, how much more does the Father love you? So the first thought we have to establish to overcome the thought of individualism is, you and I were made by Jehovah God, which makes us accountable to him. The second thought is this, so we're combating these thoughts of individualism so, the first thing I got established is I was made by a creator, by God Himself, Jehovah God, and I'm accountable to Him. I mean, bottom line, I'm accountable. The, why is that lost today? What's the greatest instrument to rob our country of that? It's fatherless homes. It's fatherless homes. And I'm not, not if you grew up in a father's home, you're in a case where there's no father that you can atta- attach to biologically i'm not saying that you're it's hopeless for you i'm saying the figure of and the role of a father gives us the picture when it's done correctly of the father and when as hard as that is at times my boys probably struggled with that i mean i wasn't the best father i was i was hard-headed i made them do stuff they didn't like to do I, I whipped them a few times, more than I can count, probably. I mean, there were three of them. That would only be four apiece. Come on. But the absence of the role of father in the home has created a vast chasm, a huge gaping hole in the understanding of what it is to have a Godfather father who wants to give us direction, correction to create for us the protection that enables us to be dependent on him. We have a nation full of people that have, that have never had a father to depend on. Come on, you're in school, you see it. So we got to reestablish, we got to reestablish this first thought. We're created by God, and we're accountable to him. The second thought is this. Sin isn't just some behavioral issue. It's a spiritual issue. You listen to me? We got to somehow pull up the weeds of thought that just say, well, all sin is is lying, cheating, stealing, drinking. Yes, I'm not saying it's not a behavioral issue. But it's in the core of the spirit that those things are birthed. So I've been guilty of teaching sin purely in terms of behavioral practice or mistakes, whatever you want to call them. Teaching things like sin equals lying, cheating, stealing. And it is, it is, it is a behavioral violation of God's law. Okay, so sin is a behavioral violation of God's law. But it is born in us. It comes from within us. Where do the lies come from? From within. Where's the war coming from? We read that in James 4 this morning. From within, from the evil desires in you. So there's something spiritual happening in us, amen? There's something spiritual happening in the people around us. There's something spiritual happening in the kids in school. There's something spiritual happening. And what that is, is it is the work of the sin nature that has been liberated by individualism. I'm going to read a passage to you. It's Romans 3. I'm going to give you 21 through 26. I think that's what I... I have, 21 through 26. You, you can follow along. It's going to be on the screen. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So how are we made right? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. For everyone has what? Everyone's sin. Everyone's sin. So, if, it's, if everyone has sinned, does that mean, well, then it must be behavioral? No, no. That just means there is, look, we all, are all behave the same. Think about this for a second. We don't all behave the same. There are people who I know that, are, that I would compare them as saints compared to some other people I know. Amen? But guess what? They're sinners. They've all sinned. What does that mean? That means it's a spiritual thing in us. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through, Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair. This may be the only thing that I've ever seen is fair. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Somebody say amen. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? It's just not how I behave. It's a spiritual thing. I got to get, get it down deep in my spirit. I got to plant a thought in there that says, look, it's not whether I drink or whether I curse or whether I, it's done that. I mean, all those behaviors, yes, they violate the laws of God, but man, it's not that. It is spiritual. It is deep in me. It requires me addressing something of myself. So the scripture teaches the essence of sin here. And what is that? It's the unbridled human autonomy trying to be like God. That's basically what it's teaching us. It's this unbridled. Human autonomy, individualism is trying to be like God. I got this. That's why Christ following involves repenting. Yes. I mean, we got to repent. Yes. We got to be open and willing to say, God, I'm wrong. You have to change this in me. Break this cycle break this behavior and even deeper than that help me uproot whatever it is in me that's spiritual that's causing this there's something about my own nature that's got to die which takes us third thought so we we want to plant the idea that god is the creator god jehovah god and that we're accountable to him second we've got to Plant this thought that sin is not a behavioral issue, it is a spiritual issue. It isn't just a behavioral issue, let me say it that way. It is behavioral, it is an issue behaviorally because we're violating God's law, but it's deeper than that. It's born out of something, and that is the spirit. It's born out of the old sin nature that we have, or that we may be operating under totally, because we've never surrendered to Christ. Which brings us to the third thought. Salvation isn't just forgiveness of sin. It's Christ's lordship. Somehow, somehow we got to teach accountability that takes us through to the point that when we begin to learn and live a dependent life on God through Christ Jesus, That we understand that now it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And he has the final say. He has the final say. I've got to get to the point that I give him final say. I've got to get to the point that he has control. He's Lord. We present salvation as asking Jesus to forgive us of our sins. So many times we do it with a period at the end. We pray a prayer, God secures your soul for eternity, and that's the end of the story. But in reality, true Christian repentance begins with asking Jesus to forgive your sins, and more importantly, or as important, it's like it's like the two sides of a coin. Yes, we need the salvation, heads up, man. I call heads. I need salvation, but then we need to understand there's a backside to that. There's another side to it, and that other side is that he is both Savior and Lord. I've got I to practice a servanthood. i got to practice a humble servanthood towards him. i got to be involved in it to the point that it's now his decision. True repentance involves an overhaul of authority within my soul, within my own life, within your life. It comes down to, I'm no longer in control of the decisions, the thoughts, the actions, the words, the body language, the attitude. Whatever it is you send signals with to those around you, I got this. Because we all send those signals. You know what that means, back off. I got this. That's right. We all have signals. it may be a word, it may be an expression, it's something, but we get we we sort of have that I mean we're human, right. and we're going to wage war the way humans do most of the time if we haven't come to the point that we submit to the lordship of Christ and that we wage war the way he waged war That's right. <laughs> so. Before I became a believer, I lived as my own Lord. We all did. When Jesus came into my life, I left a life of independence and I now live under the authority of God, Jehovah God. That opportunity was afforded me through his son, Jesus Christ. And the ability to do it is afforded me through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, his Spirit living in me and revealing to me the path, keeping me on the track. So, how do we guard? Now, I'm facing the close. How do we guard what enters our minds? influences our emotions, leads our heart off the path God has us on? How do we make sure we stay on the track that leads us to the big buck? Back to my dogs. How do we make sure? How do we make sure of that? How do we make sure we're on the path? How do we do that? How do we keep from getting lost in ourself and realizing it's too late? I'm lost. I've told y'all. So one of our practices, if we've shot something, we've got to go find it, to run off the field and go into the planted pines, especially planted pines. Planted pines are horrible at night. Once they get to about the height of this ceiling, maybe even shorter, just get to where you can't see anything and you've got a little bit of a, of a limb cover over you man you'll be down there tracking you may go an hour or two and all of a sudden you stop and you look up and it's the same trees you were at two hours ago (laughs) only it's not the same trees you were at two hours ago so one of our practices is we'll take Polaris my Polaris and I'll pull it out on the edge of the field wherever we walk in and I'll leave it running and turn I've got this 48 inch light bar that that I mean it's it's the rising of the sun and so I'll turn it on on the edge of the field and point it in the direction I'm going. So I've got two things that are happening working for me all of a sudden. I can hear and I can see then. If I can hear it running, I can keep it in track. If I can see the light, I know exactly where it's at. But if I go for a while, I can actually get to a place that I, might can't, I possibly can't see it. But I should be able to hear it. Of course, I'm going deaf, so I'm hopeful my son's with me. He didn't shoot near as many guns as I did growing up. How do we guard what enters our mind, influences our motion, leads our hearts off the path God has for us? I'm going to give you the simplest answer. Dude, this is so simple. I mean, can it be this simple? I mean, can it be that we got to constantly bring our minds under the influence of God's word? can it be that simple surely surely all this stuff that's in me isn't solved by just taking the word of god and putting it into me to where that it has influence on those things could i mean seriously could it be that easy i mean we primarily hear the word of god through our reasoning let's think about that for a second so typically There are people who can read God's word. I told about my uncle, read the Bible through five times. How does it not influence him? How does that change him? Because he's using human reasoning to determine what it's saying. And that's how we typically get it, how we hear it through human reason. Hey, y'all, I looked at that verse, years stuck next to that toilet. Told y'all about that this morning. Years I read I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on me, for he trusts in me. That's the way it was, King James. Years I read that. And so human reasoning saw it, understood it, but never applied it. But I had to have it put in me, it had to get in me, it had to be put there, it had to be there. The reasoning in many times is self-ruled, we still need it to come in and influence us because it's through that reasoning that leads us to understand what David was talking in Psalm one nineteen nine. How can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? How can a young person stay pure? You listen to me, Riley. How can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? Well, What does that even mean? That means what it says you do. That's simple human reasoning. But it's more powerful than that because it actually is designed. God's word is what? It's powerful and sharp. It's a two-edged sword. It can divide thoughts and intent. I mean, it goes so deep. It has the power to heal not just the body but the spirit of a man. So are my, is the struggle, oh gosh, this is, this is, Lord, can it be this simple? Is the struggle that we're having in our nation because we just quit making the word known? Because if they get a chance, I mean, everybody here, every, you're here today because one day you heard the word of God and you reasoned, well, that makes sense. Right? And suddenly something happened in your spirit. And you realize there's truth here. And your spirit attached to that. And you found Jesus through it. How important is it for you to take your children or your grandchildren and just sit with them and hold them and pray the word over them, or speak the word over them and let them hear God's word? How important is that? How important is it that we take time to just listen to God's word? I mean, I don't care if it's James Earl Jones. Listen to it. Get it. <laughs> right? I saw he's, he had done one. I thought to myself. Sort of like old James Earl Jones. But I can listen to that. I don't care if it's Siri. Listen to it. However you can get it. My gosh, would that be a long day. All life change starts with God's word. Period. Period. You want your thoughts to change? You want to experience deliverance and freedom from some of the impure or the, the evil desires and thoughts that you have? God's Word. God's Word. God's Word. God's Word. I have to submit my mind to God's word so my human reasoning hears what it says and my spirit man awakens to its power. That's the way I'd say it. I have to submit my mind to God's word so that my human reasoning can hear it and so that my spirit man is awakened to its power. That's why you're saved today because the word of God awakened that spirit in you, to realize, man, I'm desperate. (laughs) Blessed is the man who realizes his need for God. That's what Jesus taught his disciples. Okay. No matter what stage in life you're in, what age you are, how long you've lived for God, how many times you've read the word, your mind must be brought under the influence of God's word regularly, daily, and as much as possible with others in his presence. I mean, listen, I've said this all my life. Church is God's plan A. He didn't create a plan B. I'm not saying that small groups are not good, Sunday school is not good, but the gathering of like-minded believers, taking the word of God and opening it up and hearing it and com Conversing over it has an incredible dynamic power. Let's fix our thoughts. How do we do it? Get in His Word. Yeah, get in His Word. That's how we fix our thoughts. How do I think right? I think right by thinking what His Word thinks. What does His Word say? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay if you don't know. You understand? I don't care how old you are, how long you've lived for Jesus. If something comes up and you don't have an answer to it, get in His Word, find it. Let's find an answer. Don't just rely on the people around you because they may be like me. They may give you some answer that's just just trying to make them look good. Come on now. Let's be honest. We've all done it. You know, just. I'd like this conversation, in. I'm going to just give you something. I, I've done that. Y'all have done that. We've done that to our kids. They know it, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> you know what my boys grew up saying? I'm facing close. My Lord, I need in. You know what my boys grew up saying? When we'd say, we'll see. As I, say, oh, that's no. Hey, Dad, let's go do something. Else. We'll see. Oh, God. Right. Scratch that one off. We never saw. We never saw. If I said we'll see, we never saw. Hardly ever. Hard, I'm going to say hardly ever. One out of 100. I mean, I, I, my whole point, one day they brought that up, and I said, hey, that's all right. There's one out of 100. Y'all just said there's one out of 100. You've got a whole hundred to shoot for. I mean, I might do one of them. We'll see. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Hey, are we ready for, God, for what God see, here, i- I I feel like the Lord led me through these messages to get to this moment to ask you this question. Can you believe I think that way? So I thought that far ahead to get to this moment. If we really do believe God's fixing to do something powerful, are we ready for it? Because yourself can't be in this thing I mean <laughs> I mean, because the next thing you know, you'll be waving the banner of some some crazy stuff that you don't need to be, and that we'll have to have some kind of meeting and <laughs> make a decision about you. Lord knows we don't want to do that. <laughs> Amen. I mean, come on. Let's, I mean, we're being honest with one another. We're family, aren't we? Brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, is there, it, uh, when I opened that up, is there any encouragement? This is encouragement. You, we need to all be ready to change. We need to submit all of our thoughts to him and let him have control and fix our thoughts on what the Word of God says. And as he begins to do the miraculous in our midst, and he begins to do the signs and wonders, and he begins to bring people in, and we see them saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and, and baptizing the Holy Ghost, they start praying and speaking in tongues, and we start seeing the dead raised up. Man, I mean, what are we going to do? Yes. You know what happens when self's in that? We start getting a little puffy. Mm-hmm. That's right. We ain't going to get it if that's going to be the case. I'm preaching to myself right now. I'm preaching to Brother Jerry. But we ain't gonna get it if we if that's the case, will we? Huh? No? We gotta all be doing this. Man, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. And you know what? That ought to be the story of your life. Look what the Lord has done. Amen. Give him praise. Okay, guys. What do you need? What do you you need? Um, I mean, if I open the altar right now, what do you need? I mean, my question would be, is he Lord? I think we all need to address Lordship tonight. I think we all need to say, look, God, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. And He is He has proven to be the, the Savior of my soul. I know that. But my question now is, I mean, that's that's vitally important. But let's flip the coin over. In a daily day in and day out, experience. Let's take tomorrow. What does his lordship look like for you? If I said, take last Monday, take last Monday, how did his lordship show up in you? It should show up that way this Monday. Maybe it's different circumstances, different Conflicts, maybe different opportunities, but it ought to still show up because he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. We like to say that. That's a pretty cool, clicky phrase, but it's a reality. He's, he's either got it or you got it. Fair enough? Now, I'm not saying that we can't say to the Lord in the morning, Lord, I, I messed last Monday up. I'm giving this money to you and do that on Tuesday and Wednesday every day do I have to do this every day yeah if you want to avoid self rule individualism doing your own thing yes you have to do it every day every day oh but look what comes out of it you're going to love me more I mean I that's not selfish, that's the reality. You're going to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You're going to be a light, a city set on a hill that can't be hid, the scripture says. You're going to be all these things that the scripture talks about when he is Lord, when he has rule. Man, that's we want that, right? We want that. So what do you need? If, if it's as simple as just getting back in his word, then let's just stand right now and let's just walk down to the altar and let's just commit ourselves to him fresh tonight. Everybody, I invite you. Let's get in this altar.